This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. I'm in the dining room of the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island for the Mackinac Policy Conference, talking with politicians, business leaders, and nonprofit leaders about the major problems that face our state. We each year come up here hoping that the change of scenery and the distance from home (laughs) gives us new insights into those challenges. Uh, and speaking of insights into those challenges, <laughs> I've got a great guest with me right now. Rip Rapson is the president and CEO of the Kresge Foundation in Detroit. Rip, welcome to Detroit today. Thank you, Stephen. What a pleasure. Yes. Uh, so you guys had big news up here uh, on Mackinac, and it follows along a line that uh, you guys have been really interested and active in for some time. Uh, we, this morning, were able to announce um, a major new financial commitment to early childhood education. We joined with the Kellogg Foundation and PNC Bank in unveiling a $2.5 million commitment to upgrading facilities and uh, the provision of materials in early childhood centers. But the bigger news, in some ways, is that this becomes sort of one small building block in a larger effort that Kellogg and Kresge and PNC and other philanthropic institutions in the city are making to try to build out an early childhood system that makes sense. The K-12 system is still everyone's top priority and we got to figure out how to crack that code. But in the meantime, a number of us are going to try to take on the early childhood space and see if we can't, from zero to five, get kids ready to enter the schoolhouse door uh, developmentally, intellectually, emotionally, and otherwise. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, one of the problems that we've had in Detroit, I think, has been the way in which we want to separate those two things. We want to think of them as fundamentally different spaces, and and I, I think that also explains the short shrift that zero to five has, has gotten uh, because we are so worried about K to 12, um, uh, and people don't see them as linked. It's, and that was the uh, essence of the conversation we organized this morning. We had Dr. Vidi on the stage mm-hmm. with Lejeune Montgomery Tabron and me and Rick DeVore from PNC talking about exactly that, that, uh, that early childhood shouldn't be seen as yet the next silver bullet, mm-hmm. that it's got to be linked to uh, K-12 preparedness. You've got to think about where that child is going, the data that he or she brings with him, how you coordinate services, how you make sure that there's continuity in the family supports. I mean, there are a whole suite of really complicated issues. And one of the explicit priorities of what we call Hope Starts Here, which is this early childhood effort, is to make sure that that linkage exists and that the schools are working hand in glove with the early childhood community. Yeah. Uh, At the same time, we've made some real progress in the last, I want to say, decade now on early childhood, starting with uh, the state money that uh, Mm -hmm. Governor Rick Snyder and the legislature figured out how to how to move more of into into uh, zero to five and then sort of uh, built up by the the philanthropic community really who who sort of took that and said all right we've got more slots for kids to to, to be in there but those slots have to have more quality uh, behind them and access of course to the slots remains a, a huge issue if you um, look at the number of Detroit children who are attending uh, a, a child care provider of high quality. It's only about one in four. Yeah. It's just unacceptable. Um, and so one of the explicit aspirations of this effort is to expand that percentage exponentially and, and also understand how we bring more providers into 
high quality status? I mean, do they need professional training? Do they need better facilities? Do they need deeper networks? Do we need a credentialing system? And those are things that are not just aspirational. I mean, it's hope starts here, but this is way beyond hope. This is about putting a stake in the ground on very specific, concrete ways that we can start building out a system that over a year, two years, four years, begins reaching 20, 30, 40, 50 percent more of the kids. Yeah. Uh, there's also a cultural change, I feel like, that needs mm. to take place, uh, not just in terms of the way uh, decision makers, policy makers make decisions, but in terms of the way parents think about yeah. this. There are a lot of parents, I think, who believe, well, you know, I'll send my kid to one year of preschool before mm. uh, they need to go to kindergarten, and, and that'll be good. There really does need to be more than that in a city like Detroit where uh, the other kinds of deficits that people face have such an effect on, on preparedness. You know, there's so much packed into that statement. On, on one hand, parental involvement is just key. And again, of the six priorities we've identified in our work, parental involvement is one. We, we are making a huge push to try to help parents understand the value of early childhood education in all of its dimensions, as you say, not just sort of plopping a a young person in, in front of a television at your aunt's house, but really going to work on what it means to have real preparation over time. And what we found is that the parents just eat it up. They are, they are as should be no surprise to anyone, deeply committed to, to their kids' success. And so once they understand that they have options and that if they get organized, those options can expand, and if those options expand, they increasingly participate in broader communities of support, then I think we're making real progress. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I want to also get you to talk about Kresge's other, or one of the other, really significant investments, kind of in the same space. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the things that you're doing at Marygrove College. Uh, last year I had you on the program with uh, Elizabeth Burns, who's the president at Marygrove, talking about this new partnership uh, between the, the foundation and the college. Uh, that was designed to, to plug more of what goes on there into this idea of, I guess, P to 20 is what, they, uh, what they're calling it, this, this broad spectrum of educational needs uh, in the city. Catch us up on where you are with all of that. Well, there are kind of three levels to Marygrove. <clears throat> One was to take an institution that was at risk of closing its doors mm -hmm. and stabilizing it. I think we've done that. We've uh, turned the land over to a conservancy. The property is now being managed by a central entity and it's free from its creditors. Second was to develop a concept for zero to 20, uh, a preschool on site, a K-12 on site, perhaps some collegiate programming on site, a graduate program on site. Uh, I'll, we can talk a little bit more about that. That's mm -hmm. beginning to shape. Mm -hmm. And the third is to recognize how important an institution like that is to its surrounding community, both in terms of drawing people into the campus, but also sort of projecting out into the into the broader community a sense of stability and identity and um, and programming that can touch all of the the neighborhood and I think uh, we're making progress on all three um, uh, the the k-12 programming is particularly important I think uh, since we last talked we've solidified an agreement between the University of Michigan and the Detroit public school system to offer a very different kind of K-12 mm -hmm. program in which we'll have master teachers both from the school district and from the University of Michigan on the campus teaching next generation teachers 
uh, having almost a medical school model where these uh, young teachers apprentice with senior folks and end up being really master teachers in their own right. Uh, and that then, I think, feeds into a very different way about thinking about how the district might train its teachers. So all of a sudden, the school district is thinking maybe it should bring its teacher training work onto campus. The University of Michigan is not limiting its teacher training just to sort of its school of education, but thinking about bringing engineering and architecture and the dental school on site. This could be uh, um, a campus unlike any campus we have seen in Detroit, and it becomes not only remarkable in its own right, but again, sort of a model for the, the surrounding communities. So uh, child care providers in the community could come on site and get training or use community facilities or do any number of other things. So it's, it's really shaping up in a way that is potentially pathbreaking. Yeah, uh, and, and again, that fits in with uh, this discussion about uh, not just preparedness for school, but uh, school itself, and then what happens after school. I mean, uh, it, it, that's such a key uh, dimension to, to that area of the city, I think. Uh, and you talked a little about that being one of the drivers for you guys, is, is this idea that, uh, that that institution in that area really is, uh, in an, is playing an important role, and you didn't want to lose that. Uh, but but in the, the the broader discussion of of zero to five, uh, the broader discussion of K to twelve, this all sort of fits right into that. Well, on your earlier point, that this all needs to be linked. That you can't create a bunch of freestanding systems that mm -hmm. sort of ricochet against one another. Uh, on the Marygrove campus, we are going to break ground, if not this fall, shortly thereafter, on a new early childhood center. Mm. And that childhood center will benefit from all of the educational pedagogy going on in the K-12. And w our hope is that we'll train early childhood providers on the Marygrove site. Mm. And so uh, it's all linked up. It's all interrelated. The families will come from the area that mm -hmm. we've been able to get an agreement with the school district that that priority will be given to folks who live within a mile of the campus. Yeah. And so this just is going to, I think, spread out from Marygrove in, in interesting and powerful ways. Yeah. My guest is Rip Rapson. He's the president and CEO of the Kresge Foundation. We're talking at the Mackinac Policy Conference uh, up on Mackinac Island. I'm going to talk a little more generally about uh, some of the things that Kresge's been involved with in the city and uh, see how you think they're going. Let's talk about uh, the light rail, uh, <laughs> which you and I have been talking about for a really long time. <laughs> Can't we talk about early childhood some more? <laughs> right, right. So, I, um, you know, there are some, some early sort of returns, I guess. Uh, about the success of the M1 rail, and and there are a lot of indicators that suggest we we missed the mark in terms of some of the things that we had hoped that it that it would do. I I would love to hear you talk about why you still, and I'm assuming I'm making a little bit of an assumption here, but why you still believe that was an important investment to make uh, in downtown Detroit. You know, it's so tempting to uh, look at some of the birthing pains of a system like this and uh, getting caught up in traffic or uh, not having enough operators. Or, you know, a lot of the, the those issues have been covered pretty extensively. Yeah. But I would return to sort of first principles. The first principle w uh, that we articulated for the rail is that it would become connective 
device all up and down this great spine. Uh, whether you wanted to go up for the DIA for lunch if you're working at Quicken or you want to hop on a line to get you uh, downtown because you work on the edge, uh, whatever those things were, that, that clearly has been accomplished. Second is that we wanted to figure out a way that the fixed line would encourage real estate investment clearly has happened whether the number is eight billion or ten billion dollars of investment that is all materialized up and down the line and that simply would not have happened without the line and third is that it would become a down payment on a broader regional system and that this becomes sort of the first leg in a system that connects to Ann Arbor, that connects up to the job centers in the northern suburbs, and that you hang on that bus lines and other forms of, of mobility. And we've come very close on that. Mm. I, I think the fact that we have um, not been able to get fully to a regional transit system uh, adequately funded um, is too bad, but I think we are very close to accomplishing that. And I would guess that in the next year, we will go back to the voters of Southeast Michigan, get a regional transit tax passed, and begin to build out a future mobility system that is perhaps a little less dependent on fixed hard investment sure. and, and more on our next generation mobility. But when you when you look at the the queue line in in that context of uh, a connective device in terms of a a land use device mm -hmm. and in terms of a, a broader regional systems device, I think it continues to be worth every uh, ounce of energy and, and pain we've put into it. <laughs> and operationally, it's just going to get better and better. We're yeah. going to get a dedicated line. We'll get single preemption. People like Little Caesars are figuring out how to accommodate it. I mean, those bugs will get worked out. So, uh, you know, uh and I, uh, here I am still calling it M1, which was Thank a, you. <laughs> a former iteration of the name. It's the Q line, of course. I have my own frustrations with it as somebody who uh, used to live downtown and, and still does a lot of things downtown. It does not work the way we all thought it would. But there are a couple things that, that, that I would say on its behalf. One is, you know, we are the most impatient uh, mm -hmm. city and region I can ever remember <laughs> dealing with. Uh, Indeed. You know, you can't. You can't do something like that and expect that it's going to work exactly the way you want up front. I also would say that because of the private and philanthropic investment in it, this is something that costs taxpayers way less than it has in other communities. So there's less risk to us in terms of you know, people, voters aren't being asked to sustain the thing. So that should give us more patience. Uh, and I also w want to say that, you know, in terms of vision, mm. I I've lived in this community most of, of mm. my life. There are very few instances I can point to of us saying, you know what, we've done it this way for so long. Mm. Let's try something completely different and hope that that will uh, work better. This was an example of that, and, and we did it. Uh, it took longer than we thought it was going to take. It cost more uh, than we thought it might cost, but it it's there. And I've said for a long time, and mm. I'll put this out there, that... Uh, um, one of the things that should have come along with uh, with that line was a closure of Woodward to car traffic, uh, maybe below the stadiums. Yep. Uh, that's you say that around here and people lose their minds. Yep. But think of how much more efficiently that line would run uh, if it weren't fighting with the traffic. No, I couldn't. I couldn't agree more. And the the idea of a dedicated lane when you have eight lanes of traffic yeah. Um, yeah. is not such an outrageous. Ideas. So we'll get there. I, I'm absolutely convinced that we'll get there. All right. Rip Rapson, <laughs> president and CEO.
of the Kresge Foundation. It is always great to have these conversations with you. Thank you for making Thanks the time. For being here. All right. That's going to do it for us. I will be back tomorrow, and I hope you will too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your source for music, news, and conversation. 